0: every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: This is the Art of Awesome episode number 162. Wow.
0: So, I went from 4th grade football to coaching junior varsity in high school, to being an ops assistant at SMU, to doing video and recruiting, to on the field. And it and I had I was fortunate enough to be in those positions while also acknowledging that I worked extremely hard to be successful and be a valuable asset to whatever team I was on in that moment. So I was always kind of pointed towards this North Star, but I had this extreme focus on, as I like to tell myself, dominating in the present. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning.
1: Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. And let's just say I am stoked and amped and excited to share this conversation with you guys as today I got to sit down with Coach Evan Burke and talk all about the intangibles. Very, very fun conversation, which you guys are going to get once we get into it. But Evan Burke is a coach, and he has coached NFL teams like the Miami Dolphins, uh, has been uh, a successful college football coach as well. But he has a very interesting story as he goes from a fourth-grade football coach to coaching the special teams in the NFL within six years, and a lot of that has to do with the intangibles, uh, with mindset, with goal setting, with drive and determination, and really just putting in the work to step up, and also not necessarily knowing the path to the end goal, but taking one step at a time. So there is so much value that coach Evan Burke shares with us within this conversation as we talk about athletics, as we talk about team building and how that relates to everything in life, whether it be um, being a role model, whether it be leadership, whether it be parenting. So again, just so many nuggets of gold uh, within this podcast. And I'm very, very excited to share it with you guys. We talk a lot about Evan's latest book called Finding intangibles and honestly this is just a podcast with so much value filled within it uh again i'm just very very excited as you guys can tell very excited to share with you guys so let's wait no longer and jump right into it here is coach evan burke well first off evan thank you so very much for joining me here on the art of awesome podcast
0: nick thank you so much for having me and uh, really excited to chat with you today
1: Yeah, well, I am excited to speak with you because you are a former college and NFL coach. I think you actually coached, uh, was it special teams with the Miami Dolphins? Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is.
1: Yeah, and so I, I... I'm very intrigued because um, coaching is is a big part in my life as a professional athlete myself, but also being a parent um, and just kind of that leadership role. I'm, I'm very excited to to ask some questions about that. But first off, I'd love to hear kind of your story on how you got into coaching and, and kind of um, how you made it into the professional ranks as a coach in the NFL.
0: Sure thing. and. You know, my story is a little unconventional when it comes to coaching, especially at the highest levels of college and and, in the professional ranks. Uh, I was a high school athlete. I I wrestled and I also played football, but I I wasn't spectacular and I wasn't recruited to play in college. And I ended up going to the University of Colorado as a student. And after a year or so, uh, as much as I was enjoying my college experience like we all do, I was really kind of thirsting for something else. Uh, something was missing from my life. And, and just like anybody who's competed in sports their whole life and, and through high school, you know, becomes a big part of your life. Uh, and and I was missing that competition, uh, just the aspect of being on a team. Uh, and, and at the time, I, I didn't even know it was possible to walk onto a team or, or be a member of a team. Uh, and I just kind of needed something around sports. And so I started coaching youth sports in Boulder uh, when I was 19, 20 years old, while I was still in school there. And, and just kind of to fulfill that need to be a part of a team. And that eventually led me to coaching fourth grade football. Uh, so that was my first uh football coaching job. And I remember at the time, I wanted to be a coach, I thought I wanted to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys or the head coach for the University of Texas. Uh, and I could remember, obviously, I didn't know anybody and I wasn't playing at a very high level in college or in the pros. And I needed to start somewhere. So I was like, okay, well, well, we'll start at the Boulder Rec Center coaching fourth grade football. Uh, and, and those were the humble beginnings of my coaching career and and very humble beginnings because we went 0-6 that first season. Um, but uh, the true test of success in fourth grade football is the pizza party at the end of the year, and we knocked that out of the park. Um, so probably my most successful year in coaching, uh, but slowly started to kind of compound my experiences. So from fourth grade football, uh, I started coaching at the local high school in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, And after I graduated and and had a little bit of experience coaching at that high school, I set my sights to getting into college. and, And that kind of set my path towards pursuing a college job. And I ended up catching on Uh, At Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, where I'm from. Uh, Very fortunate because I grew up five minutes from that school. The school wasn't very great at the time, wasn't even very good. They hadn't had a winning season in nearly 30 years. And I got a chance to be there for four years and kind of see the evolution of the team from kind of a bottom feeder of college football Uh, to kind of where they are now, where this past season, they kind of ascended to a top 25 team competing against, uh, you know, some of the best teams in the nation and specifically here in the state of Texas. So I was very fortunate in that experience. And then that led me uh, to, to my NFL uh, position and and I'll kind of stop here because I'll start talking I'll tell a 20 minute story right now without letting you have a chance to breathe. but uh, that was kind of the beginnings of my career and kind of how I got my first job in college.
1: Well, that is first off, that's it's an incredible story and and I love how there's there's a couple different things in there that that I find super intriguing. one. Um, the importance of goal setting. So you talk about how you you set your you set your sights on wanting to be, you know that college uh, coach and then playing or a coach in the NFL and stuff like that and 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 then it's it's easy to like think of these lofty goals and then think, oh man, I I've got nothing. How can I get there? Do you know what I mean? But you thought it through and and really kind of took action but also made like, action steps, like, okay, well, where do I start? Well, maybe being that I don't have experience and maybe that I'm still in, you know, uh, studying myself, maybe fourth grade is where I need to start at. And, and I just love that, one, you took that, the humble beginning route, but, but also took the action steps forward and still had that end goal in sight. And, and I think all of that is obviously extremely important. I think your story, too, is... It's it's very intriguing how you were able to elevate uh, so quickly, and and I'm assuming, and I know I shouldn't make assumptions, but a, that a big part of that has to do with with the goal setting that you had and, and the vision of like where you want to go and the steps maybe that you had laid out to kind of get there. Um, do you see just with with how quick you went from you know coaching fourth graders into the NFL? A lot of people would think that that would take you know, maybe a lifetime of coaching experience to kind of get there. Was there any point in in your career where you noticed like this was the inflection period of where I went from like, you know, coaching on this level to like, bam, now I'm elevated into this status of kind of en route to make it into college or en route to make it to the NFL? Like, was there any one point that kind of puts you on that path?
0: That's a great question. First of all, um, I just want to acknowledge that when I started, uh, I would love to tell you right now that I knew exactly what I was doing, but in all honesty, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I didn't know anybody that was involved in coaching. I didn't know what it meant to be a college or professional coach. I just always was attracted to sports, um, always loved football growing up in Dallas, Texas, during a time when the Dallas Cowboys were actually a good football team, uh, was was kind of the, the beginning of my love of the sport. And I always loved the leadership aspect. Uh, and and it, I've always equated a lot of leadership and team building lessons I've learned through life to sports. And so fourth grade was just kind of like the first opportunity that presented itself. Uh, So I, I, it's interesting because I think my story is, yes, I had that vision and I just made an action step and kind of like went and got that fourth grade football team, but it was this constant evolution of, okay, you know, I'm always listening to Bill Parcells press conferences. I'm always reading coaching books. I'm taking notes on the, the, the games of, you know, being an offensive coordinator for the first time at a junior varsity level does it matter? No, like none of that matters. But I think I was processing things with the vision of, okay, I'm growing in to being the head coach at the university of Texas or for the Dallas Cowboys. And so I think that was very powerful and having a strong North star that you are constantly pointed towards and can constantly reorient yourself to. So, you know, your question is, was there like a specific point I don't actually know if there was a specific point. I was very fortunate in the aspect that I got to be promoted into a new role in a new facet of whatever organization I was with every single year of my career until I made it to the NFL. So I went from fourth grade football to coaching junior varsity in high school to being an ops assistant at SMU to doing video and recruiting. To on the field. And, it, and I had, I was fortunate enough to be in those positions while also acknowledging that I worked extremely hard to be successful and be a valuable asset to whatever team I was on in that moment. So I was always kind of pointed towards this North Star, but I had this extreme focus on, as I like to tell myself, dominating in the present. Uh, whether it was making 100 photocopies to pass out for the team meeting or whether it was breaking down an advanced scout film on the next team we were playing. I always took that mentality. And uh, I don't know if I can identify a single inflection point. Obviously, going from college and making the determination that, like, I want to give myself a shot to try and get a job in the NFL and actually getting that job in the NFL. That was probably the biggest inflection point. Uh, specific to what you just said, because everything had happened over a short period of time. Yes. But it was just kind of I was just I I felt like I was on a path and I felt like that first step from college all the way to the NFL was probably the first time where I was probably making a step just like we all tend to do in life where it's like, oh, I, I might be stepping out of my realm of capacity here. Um, but obviously that's where growth happens. So, um, I would probably say getting that job in the NFL was like the first big inflection point along the, uh, the, the path of a constant ongoing skill and technique development.
1: I like that. And it, it reminds me a little bit of like the, <clears throat> the continual story that we hear, you know, all the time in, in the news or, or whatever of like the, the so-called overnight success. And and I do the like, quote unquote, because hearing your story to me it almost seems like it really all starts with having that vivid vision that true north star of like you know the end goal i want to be you know a coach for the Dallas Cowboys or i want to be a coach for you know uh Texas College or whatever that might be because i had a similar story and and ironically i was uh reflecting on this yesterday and when I was 15 or 14, I wanted to be a professional whitewater kayaker. That was just like this huge goal of mine uh, and a, an obsession. And also something that was somewhat like just, I don't know if impossible's the right word, but, but definitely out of reach something that was like, it wasn't within my wheelhouse and it wasn't likely to occur, but it was also this, this huge goal that I was like, well, I'm just going to keep going for it. And it's like, well, I don't even know the path or the steps to get there, but I'm going to take a step forward. And then once, and then it's, it's like, it's like driving in the fog where you can't see the end goal but you can see a little bit ahead. So just keep going. And then you can see a little bit further ahead and keep going and a little further. And that in so many ways is the is the path forward. It's like, well, don't worry about seeing that end goal. Just just look for that next step. And uh, it seems like that might be a little bit of, of your story as well, where... Maybe there wasn't this exact path, you know, to coaching uh the Miami Dolphins back when you were coaching fourth graders, but it was like, well, I'm gonna take the next step and And the other thing that I heard you say that that I definitely want to touch on was acting on who I want to be. So even you know, whether you were coaching the fourth graders or or high school or whatever, thinking about like, well, what would, you know, the NFL coach be doing right now? And I, I'm going to start acting like that person. And I think when we are goal setting for so many of us to, to stop and realize like, okay, well, what is the person that I'm trying to become? What would that person be doing right now in this scenario? And And doing that – really elevates us to become that person in so many ways. And, and I just, I, I heard you say a couple of different things that really kind of made me think about that. And, and, and I, I applaud that because as a young person, when you, so you're doing this, like how old were you when you uh, started coaching in the NFL?
0: Uh, I was 26, 27 years old.
1: Right. So at 26, 27, I mean, one, I'm not sure what the record is for like youngest coach in the NFL, but, but to me, that sounds super young. And as a 33 year old right now, I can say that, that you have to have a, a level of mentality and, and essentially wisdom beyond your years. And a, a part of that is probably a combination of the books that you're reading and and the content that you are consuming. Uh, but also trying to elevate yourself to be that person that you want to become and, and the goal of being like, well, what is, you know, what is an NFL coach doing in this scenario and different things like that? Because I'm, I mean, I'm still like regularly trying to work on that myself. And and I think that's amazing that at that 26, 27 year old age that you were able to kind of have that wisdom and that mentality, uh, to kind of put that all together, um, and, and I, I, I want to hear more from you because I feel like I'm talking a lot. But like, what were some of the books and content that you were consuming to kind of help bring your mentality into that level of both coach, but just the mental presence to like, was there ever any doubt, by the way, and I'm, I'm t- taking this into a, in, into a different direction. So I, I also want to hear the books and the content that you're listening, but was there doubt when, when you were in that NFL you know, locker room or whatever, but still being super young. Did you ever feel like, um, like I'm too young to be here or any doubt that way? Or did you just have the confidence to be like, no, I've worked my way into this position and I deserve to be here and I have value to bring to this team.
0: So to answer the first question, I, I think my vision and my confidence in myself gave me a tremendous amount of I don't want to say bravado or cockiness but like I was very sure of who I was and who I was going to become and I treated myself that way when I was away from the office I mean I've spent a lot of time at night when other people would probably you know in their early 20s go out have a lot of fun Uh, I I didn't do that. Like I would stay home and I was reading and I was like creating binders of what my offense was going to look like or what my recruiting system was going to look like. I've always been really passionate about that. So when I would be walking around the office, even though I was young and I, I just carried myself with a lot of confidence. But that confidence came from my own study. And as you mentioned, books I was reading Uh, And I just want to like point something out also, because you were kind of talking about it. I was very fortunate in the respect of like who my parents are and, and who they, and what they've meant to me in my life. And I always say, I learned everything I need to know about coaching from my parents and my parents know nothing about coaching. And so the work ethic, um, you know, Fortunate to have uh, specifically my mom telling me, you know, how great I was at everything, even though I wasn't necessarily great at everything, um, and, and instilling amazing lessons of work ethic. Like, work ethic in our family, like, nothing comes before work. <laughs> like, it can be grandpa's 75th birthday. And if you have work, like, work comes first. That was kind of like a, a motto that was heard uh co- consistently throughout my childhood. So I think that a lot of the things that came to represent my coaching were from my parents and from my childhood. And, and I and I just want to acknowledge that because I think exactly what you're talking about, how can somebody, and again, like for for the audience that isn't aware of like the professional coaching ranks, most coaches are either former high level college or professional players or they are sons Of coaches or NFL executives. That is the typical path to being a coach. There's not a lot of people that have a path like mine where they just one day in business class are like, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to do business. I think I want to be a coach and I'm just going to go coach this fourth grade team and then slowly progress their way. Uh, And I think a lot of that was because of those traits I just talked about, um, kind of this un dying belief in what I was going to become. And you kind of were referencing some of the books. And so if anybody out there has read the alchemist, uh, by Puello Coelho, which is my favorite book. And obviously it's a book about kind of having a vision and, and pursuing that vision and getting knocked down multiple times. And that was definitely my career. Uh, you can imagine. And, uh, you know, it, it for, for the people that are listening on audio and you probably can't even see on video, like I'm 5'10", 160 pounds soaking wet, like I'm not an intimidating person. I'm, I, I kind of stand out in a coach's uh, conference room or a coach's locker room. I'm not your typical football coach. And so I think I was met with a lot of skepticism in terms of who are you? Like, why are you here? All these, these guys are former players. These, I know these guys, dads from, you know, 30 years of coaching with them. Like, who are you? Uh, And that was unsaid, but I felt it. And uh, I think that one of the important things, and this is true in coaching and in life, is you need to get around the people that understand what drives success and uh, this is where I shamelessly plug my book, uh, Finding Intangibles. And you hit on something a moment ago that is specific to that. You were talking about this passion and this love of being a whitewater kayaker. And like it didn't matter how unrealistic your goal was, it's realistic because of your passion and because of your love. And you can be the most talented kayaker. In America, in the world, and if you don't have that passion and love or you don't have that growth mindset to get knocked down and to, like, take those lessons of failure and and employ them to improve your performance, like, you're never going to make it to the top and you're never going to reach your potential, even if you do have the talent to go to the top. And, uh, you know, again, that's kind of what my book is about, is that – Talent is essential to success, but success is not determined by talent. And if you look across sports, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Nick, in in your experience and some of the other elite athletes you've competed against or competed with, you can always trace like, yes, they have a baseline of talent in whatever they do, but the truly elites, the truly great performers, and in team sports, the great teams, they're never the people or the teams with the most talent, they're always the people in teams with the most character. Hmm. And I think what you said a moment ago about passion uh, and about love of what you're doing is very similar to my story. And I always like to you know, think of my story in coaching as a, as a story of resilience. And uh, we don't have enough time on this podcast to be to go into all of my failures and, and kind of setbacks in my career. But like part of that is getting knocked down and getting back up. Uh, you know, there's a quote in the alchemist, uh, you know, fall seven times, get up eight. And I think that that represents a lot of people that are great at whatever they do. They have this ability to get knocked down, not be deterred and to get up stronger than when they were first, uh, first knocked down. So, uh, I'm starting to ramble now and getting super excited and fired up. But, um, I, I do agree with you too, about the books that you read and the people that you're around. And I think as I progressed through my career, I didn't find them early on in terms of people that supported me or saw it in me. But I think as I started to progress in my career and be started to become more knowledgeable and, and, honestly like a better coach, better equipped to handle these high, highly competitive environments. I think I started to see people that thought like me, kind of what I just outlined my book is about, like that that thought in that knew, that character was important. Um, that had been on championship teams, that had coached with leaders that I looked up to and had you know copious amounts of notes that I had taken on them they started to see, they were they were talking about the game and what it took to be successful the same way I was talking. And those were the same people that saw something in me. So in a way, somebody was asking me the other day about my book and like finding intangibles is really kind of like, how do you build winning teams? How do you find these unseen character traits? And they were asking me if the book was kind of about myself and I didn't write it, I really wrote it for myself at 24, because this was the information I wanted to know as a young coach. But I, th- I think in-, in another way, maybe subconsciously, the book is kind of about my own story, because I'm never going to be the most talented coach or the most knowledgeable at football in any room I'm in, more than likely. Um, but I have the other traits, in my opinion. Uh, that that really led to my success because I can guarantee you, I didn't make it to the NFL from fourth grade football in six years because of my name recognition or because of my football knowledge or talent.
1: That's amazing. And, and I, I love the reflection upon both how, you know, the book Intangibles is about the advice that you'd give to that 24 year old, you know, young up and coming coach but how it also in reflection might have a bit of your story in it as well, because there is that, that determination, that grit, um, the passion as, as a couple of things that you had mentioned, what are some of the other intangibles, um, that you write about in your book or, or that you have, um, discovered through coaching that aren't, you know, maybe, maybe some of the the obvious skills that, that athletes and, and just individuals have.
0: At the end of my time, when I was coaching at UCLA, I had come upon a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, uh, who's a Stanford professor, and she's done a lot of great work on growth mindset specifically. And when I was reading this book, and it's a lot about parenting with growth mindset, teaching with growth mindset, performing with growth mindset, and, and really about the ability to fail and to take lessons from those failures and become stronger through those failures, right? Like to break it down as simple as possible. And I remember reading this book at, towards the end of my career, my coaching career, football coaching career, and thinking, wow, I should have read this book year one of coaching because all the things in here are what you want in your recruits. Yeah, you want a talent. Like I want a, I want a quarterback that can make the throws. Uh, like they have to have talent. But like the best quarterbacks, the quarterbacks that we admire on Sundays on NFL football fields, you know, the ones that are there based truly on their talent. Right. Like we don't have to go into that. Like, and you know, the ones that are there uh, in spite of their talent. And like, obviously, Tom Brady's like the best example of all of this. But I started to. I started to think in that term, in those terms, as I was reading that book, like, wow, so really growth mindset is what you're looking for in terms of character. And I started to do more research on this. I wrote my master's thesis on talent acquisition in college athletics and in interviewing the best recruiters that I'd been around and asking them what they looked for. Uh, And then obviously this has been a passion of mine for 20 years. So I've been studying this and and really picking apart the best coaches, Uh, you know, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich in basketball, uh, Phil Jackson, uh, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban in football. These are people that are not only the best right now, these are all-time greats, and they all build their team with character. So like, why are we not doing that at SMU or UCLA or wherever we are? Um, and and it gets harder the higher up you go. If you're at Notre Dame or Ohio State or USC for football, these are premier programs. Everybody wants to go to your program. If you offer young 17, 18 year old, they're probably going to commit because probably they probably want to go to your school. But the thing is with a lot of highly touted talented individuals as they've been praised on talent and how great they are in their success their whole life so it's always been oh my god nick like you know oh you won another competition yeah of course you did you're the best um where in, in carol dweck's book she talks about you know if you're if you're parenting an athlete you don't want to say oh my god you won of course you won you're great you want to say wow nick you performed great today and you won. And like, I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge the fact that you've been getting up at five o'clock, five days a week for the last four months and putting in the work. And I think that's why you were successful today. And I'm, you know, I'm proud of you for putting in that effort. And it's like, it's a very different way. So like, if you're talking to a young athlete, do the parents praise that athlete on their success? Because a lot of five-star athletes, five-star great like highly touted athletes have always been told how great they are. And so there's an element when they go into a, like a more highly competitive situation that either they're going to think that they've made it or think that they don't need to work because they've never really had to work or be scared because, Oh my God, I'm going to get found out and I'm going to fail. And so uh, I'm of course telling I'm going into like a dissertation here and, and you're asking about the actual intangibles. I tried to break it down as simple as possible in my book, not as long-winded as I just did. I broke it down into three buckets, mindset, heart, and team players. And obviously I'm writing through the lens of a football coach. And so I know if, if you're in a solo sport or an individual sport, the team, the team aspect may not be important, but I do think that there is a people aspect to any elite performer. Right. And, and maybe you can speak to this in terms of kayaking. I would, I would imagine that you, it's not just you, you probably have coaches. You probably have people you train with. You have support system like parents or family or people close to you that are part of your journey and and part when you are down, like you, you lean on them. Uh, And and so like those people in essence can, can kind of replace maybe the team player aspect. I don't know. Am I off base here in terms of like, uh, you know, competing in a solo sport?
1: No, you're, you're, you're quite on track and, and I agree it, it gets, it gets confusing sometimes because people, you know, kayaking is a solo sport, but, but in a lot of ways it's, it is that team sport. And, and again, whether you're doing freestyle kayaking, um, and, and competition, you know, you've got, you've got coaches, you've got your, your training partners, different things like that. Um, but then expedition paddling where we're going and doing first descents or anything like that and and running new rivers it's very much a team environment because even though you're in your boat and you're doing your own thing you're there with it with a group and a team of people trying to essentially conquer and i don't know if conquer is the right word but but um you're trying to go from point A to point B. So like conquer the river, like make your way through and overcome the challenges of nature that is ahead instead of the challenges of like the, the opponent, the team, like the river is the opponent. Do you know what I mean? Nature is the opponent. And, and so trying to, as a team work through that environment. And um, it is very much a team building exercise and activity. And, and, and I think uh, too often, Maybe people don't recognize that even though you are in a boat and, and, you know, you're doing your own thing and you're controlled, you know, 100% of your own kayak, um, you're still very much working as a team and as a group trying to make your way down that river. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. You, you also kind of tapped into... Um, uh, in reference both to your book, which I'm very excited to read, uh, and now I'm going to have to go check out this book called Mindset as well. Um, but talking about parenting and 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 how that relates, and, and you even said how your parents were, you know, some of the best mentors in your coaching experience. Um, and and I think of it so much in my own parenting life, uh, having two children of my own. How I I am kind of like that coach, that mentor, that leader. And the words that we use, you had said how like, you know, the all-star athletes, how often they're praised as being the best. And then when they do come into that more competitive field, it can be very difficult. And and I've seen this uh, in in many different sports, but but that's exactly it. I mean, there's... um, commonly we have so the way kayaking works in freestyle anyway there's like a junior division which is 18 and under and then there's like the the pro men or pro women division which is you know 19 and older and you'll see this where there's only a handful of the juniors even at the very elite like junior world champions that make it into the pro division and kind of stay with it um, because they're used to being the best that i think it sometimes is a hard pill to swallow and, and a lot of them definitely they they have that talent and the skill to kind of stay with it and stay at that that top tier level but there's also another subsect of of individuals that go from being you know national champion or world champion in the junior division and then once they're in in a a more competitive age group um and they're not winning they kind of just fade out because they're just like well maybe this, maybe I'm going to go do something else. Cause they're so used to being at that peak. They're so used to that, whether it be the praise or whether it be, you know, taking home the trophy or, or that sense of accomplishment. Um, they're used to having that versus like the mentality of like, Oh, I actually have to work a lot harder for this. I have to, you know, maybe I have to read more. Maybe I have to get a new coach. Maybe I have to do, maybe I have to get up at 5 a.m. Um, And so there are certain athletes that maybe had that the whole way through and they're able to kind of um, overcome those obstacles and continue on in that direction. But the ones that that had it easier, um, quote unquote, meaning like maybe they didn't have as much competition in, in the younger age groups. I see those more likely to be the ones that kind of fade out and go do something else because they're like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to go do something different because uh, I'm not winning right now or whatever. And, and I, I imagine that it's similar in football as well and, and almost everything in, in life where even if you're, you know, you're a kid that's, that's told you're really good at math or science or whatever and then you go to, uh, I don't know, MIT – And all of a sudden there's, you know, top engineers everywhere. And if you're no longer at the peak, you're more likely to just kind of fade out into the distance and be like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm actually more interested in business now, or maybe I'm more interested in something else. And you kind of just like give yourself that excuse because you're not willing maybe to put in the work necessary to continue to rise to that upper echelon.
0: Yeah. And you just summed it up. I mean, you just summed up why I wrote the book. And let me just clarify too. Like the book is not just about being good enough, right? Like you can have an immense amount of talent and be good enough and make it to the NFL and like get contracts, but like, that's not what my book is about. And that's not what my coaching was about. Uh, You know, it was really about performing at your highest level Uh, and obviously continuing to push and redefine what your highest level is. Uh, which is specific to what you just mentioned. and and so, like I was really kind of looking back at, okay, who are the elite teams and who are the elite performers? and what do they have in common? Okay, they all have talent. But when you're at the highest levels, the difference in talent is minuscule. Oh, maybe this guy's faster, or maybe this guy's hands are bigger, whatever. But like, does that determine t- does that determine success? like you can have the talent to make it up to those levels, but the people that have success, if you really start to reverse engineer it, like in my book, I kind of break it down into like three sections. So like the first filter when you're evaluating people is like, they have to have talent. They have to be able to do the job. They have to be able to like compete in the NFL or whatever environment they're going into. So like everybody passes the first filter is talented enough to whatever, be on a college team, be, be in the NFL or be considered to be in the NFL. Okay, and like there's different levels. You might be the most talented person on the planet, but be a low character individual, right? Like you might be a, a terrible person or a terrible teammate or something. There's a lot of teams that they don't care. Like I think that talent wins out regardless. Hmm. And like, we're just gonna accumulate talent. And I talk in the book about, there's a difference between accumulating talent and building a team. Mm
1: -hmm. Like
0: you're not trying to pick the best players. You're trying to pick the right players. And we can look through all of the highest levels of any competitive sport or any competitive industry. And like the stories are all the same. Oh, this person kept getting knocked down, but like, they kept getting back up and guess what? Like they were better the next year. Uh, And like, the stories are also the same for the people that are extremely talented that don't possess these traits. Oh, if they could have just figured it out, they couldn't keep the train on the tracks. Well, yeah. And like, if you had really been critical of like what you were seeing, this is a problem that I saw in my own coaching career is like a lot of coaches start with the end in mind. Nick is the most talented person at this position. Oh my God. He's so talented. Oh yeah, coach. But he doesn't really fit our system. Oh, but this guy, he's a hes a once-in-a-generation talent. Okay, like, but his, his teammates don't high-five him when he comes off the field. Should we be concerned? Oh, they're just, you know, uh, there's been issues at that school and the coach creates a lot of jealousy and, like, it's going to be fine when he gets here. It's never fine when they get there. It, like, the story is going to tell you what's going to happen, Right. Um, you know, past performance is going to predict future success or lack of success. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of people think that that means, oh, well, they were successful in this arena or they, they had a lot of stats or, or success. So that's going to translate here. That's not really what I'm talking about. It's like, if they're a bad teammate in high school, like a lot of people's talent is so vastly superior at lower levels that they can overcome all sorts of deficiencies, But the higher up you go, the more competitive the industry is. The talent gap shrinks to almost nothing. To even like the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's of football and like the scrub players that are barely hanging onto a team, like those guys are all super talented. If you were not to watch the quarterback throw and you just saw the ball coming out from behind a door. You would just be like, oh my God, I can't tell who, you know, I can't tell which, which balls from Tom Brady and which one's from, you know, scrub player B over here. Uh, And so like what determines the success of these people? And it all goes back to like these core traits that you can find. uh, And some possess all three of these things, right? Like a, a person like Tom Brady has an immense love and importance for the game of football. Uh, he's extremely competitive. Like these things to me fall under heart. Uh, he also has this ability. Like a lot of people look at Tom Brady now and they're like, oh, he's an MVP. He's the greatest player ever. He's married to a supermodel. He's like, he's the most talented player ever. Um, and uh, I know you said you said you're 33. Yeah. So, so I'm 39. So I, I can actually remember Tom Brady in college. And, and Tom Brady was not that talented in terms of NFL quarterbacks. Uh, he had to work his way up from a fourth string quarterback just to make the team. And then think about what it takes. Drew Bledsoe uh, and, and I apologize for all the non-football fans, but but bear with me here. Drew Bledsoe at, at the year 2000 was one of the best players in, in the game of football. He was the prototypical quarterback, 6'6", 250, you know, golden arm. uh, And he was the highest paid player at the time in the history of the NFL. And backup Tom Brady was able to become the starter in New England. And obviously, you know, we're aware of what's happened over the last 20 years. Well, like if you don't acknowledge that aspect of Tom Brady's career of him developing as a backup, in showing up every day. Uh, I don't want to compare myself to Tom Brady. That's not what I'm trying to do, but I think like, you know, how was I able to access those, those rooms that are extremely difficult to get in? It was like, I had a similar vision, you know, Tom Brady talks about, he's like, Oh, I didn't care that Drew Bledsoe was the highest paid player in the league. I didn't care that he was the franchise quarterback. Like I knew that I was going to become this great player. Um, And I think, the greats have this kind of mentality of like, Oh yeah, I don't care that all these guys have, you know, dads that are hooking them up with jobs. I don't care that all these players like played for all these coaches and could just like text a coach and get a job. Like I'm going to write 450 handwritten letters to just see where I can have a conversation with anybody in the NFL so that I can just like find my crack in, in, in the wall and like, force my way through. Um, and, uh, and I'll stop here, but, but like, I just became fascinated with this over my career. And, and one of the main reasons I wanted to examine it, because I, I think it's true. The, the, the talent only gets you so far. It's the other traits that are often unseen and immeasurable that are, that are going to propel you to reach your potential and and, and have consistent success at the highest levels.
1: I love that and and the more that I hear about your story the more that I I would agree that these intangibles um that you embody you know them as well and it, and it likely is a big part if not the main portion of your story and your success as well um when I think of a coach when especially in football and, and definitely excuse my um somewhat lack of uh, experience in in football, I think of them as you know the the playmaker, that the person who's you know going through and and figuring out what's the offense, what's the defense, all these different things, and they're really kind of putting all the pieces together, and then like what you're saying, taking the talent that they've got at hand, and uh, and and essentially you know trying to make the best team possible. The more that I listen to you, the more I I question how much of coaching really has to do with. With kind of taking the talent versus molding that talent and bringing these intangibles like um, like mindset, psychology, teamwork, confidence, um, goal setting, all of that, and, and kind of implementing that into the talent that they've got to work with, and and I also see a little bit in um, the the movie Moneyball. Have you? I'm I'm guessing as a coach, maybe you've seen it, but um, oh, yeah, but the <laughs> idea. That you can take um, kind of those those unseen talents and and apply these intangibles and and um, and mindset and teamwork and confidence and really kind of mold something totally different. Um, how much of your coaching do you felt had more to do with that? That part of it um, versus just you know actually putting together what's the best offensive you know strategy or run that we can do here. What's the best defensive or or whatever.
0: Well, I wanted to write a book. Uh, Obviously I'm not trying to claim to be on par with Moneyball. It's a fantastic book, but I wanted to write something that would take a fresh approach to team building and potentially change the way people thought about team building. And, uh, you know, in a pinch, I would describe my book as Moneyball, but instead of data for character. So, you know, thinking of character as the new competitive advantage, because 20 years ago, nobody had data. Nobody knew what to look for. Now everybody has data. The betters have data. There's websites online that you can just like, you know, calculate how fast people, like the data is out there and data is not a competitive advantage anymore. Mm -hmm. And even someone like Theo Epstein in baseball, who was one of the big proponents of data and making decisions based on the data analytics, Uh, in his second opportunity as a general manager with the Chicago Cubs, again, a losing franchise that had not had really any modicum of success for a a century. uh, He came in and built a team based specifically on the chemistry and character of the players and, and creating that clubhouse chemistry. And so even the people that use data to their advantage to make their careers, make millions, be, become legends in their sport, have evolved to using character as a competitive advantage. And, uh, you know, you were asking about coaching, and I think it's very astute of you. You know, you don't have to be the, the – you don't have to watch every football game on Sunday to kind of pick apart what you just mentioned. And that's, that's really interesting insight for me. Uh, I'm so deep in it and enjoy the sport so much. It's interesting for for kind of a uh, somebody on the outside or doesn't pay attention as much to notice what you just described. And I've thought for a long time that coaching hiring is messed up specifically around what you just mentioned, right? Like uh, I talk in the book about previous experience over previous success. And I think like what I mean, uh, excuse me, excuse me, a previous success over a previous experience. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people overvalue experience and they don't look at maybe being in another realm and having success or they discount people winning. Uh, and like in a way winning or finding ways to win can be an intangible trait. It doesn't matter if you're kayaking Uh, Or, you know, when you retire uh, uh, as a kayaker and you go into business, like, those are the traits people look for. They're not going to sit there and be like, yeah, you successfully kayaking, but like, this is software sales, Nick, I don't think you understand. (laughs) It's like, no, you understand the work ethic it takes, you understand the commitment and the dedication and the ongoing uh, continual improvement, uh, to be at your best, whatever your best is going to be on this certain day, uh, learning from your failures, all these things, that's what you learn in sport. And I think people discount that And specific to hiring uh, around coaching is they look at, oh, uh, this person is good at calling plays. This person is good at, at making, making adjustments, And that's part of coaching, but that's a strategic part of coaching that when you're an assistant coach is a huge part of your job. And when you become a head coach or a leader or a manager of a team, none of that matters. None of that matters. Now, it matters to have a system in place that players can have confidence in and believe in and like a proven system to win but like you actually calling plays as a leader has very little to do with you winning. What's more important as a leader is, okay, you're at your morning walkthrough the day of the game and your star receiver walks in 30 minutes late. What do you do? Right. That's the true test of, of being a leader specifically in, in those type of environments where you have people like Antonio Brown who are supremely talented. Like, there's no doubt on a given play, him being on the field is probably advantage for your team because of his talent. But, like, what message are you sending to your team if you just, like, brush it off and say, just get him to the game? Oh, yeah, that's Antonio being Antonio. Man, he's so, he's wild. Like, to me, you just told your team everything that you're about. And it might result in a short-term success or a short-term win, but ultimately, you just had a huge loss in terms of the culture building. And that's what people don't understand about the hiring. And it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's very little to do with the plays and has everything to do with the culture. And like, what do you stand for? What do you stand for both in success and in failure? Because inevitably, both are going to happen. And it's going to show up either way, uh, specifically to the character of the team. And because sports and really life and business and any aspect you you choose is all about random events and setbacks. Uh, You were talking about the the nature of uh, the weather and the nature of being in in kayaking. And like you can't sit there and plan it out. You can prepare. But like once you're on the course and, and once you're in the river, Like you have to have some form of adaptability. Like when you, when you hit that failure, you you hit that rock or or whatever uh, adversity you encounter, like that is the true moment where your ultimate success is going to be determined. Like, do you give up? Do you just say, oh man, not today, I guess. Like it's, there's always going to be something wrong. There's always going to be adversity. And like the way that you respond to that adversity is ultimately going to determine your success. And like I always you know, like to point out, when teams win championships and the, and the broadcasters on stage and they put the mic in front of LeBron or Tom Brady and say, hey, how did you do it? They never say, oh, we're the most talented team. So we just knew if we could just get everybody to the game, we'd be fine. They always say we went through so much this year. Oh, I can't say enough about my teammates. Oh, you know, like it looked in September, like we just weren't, we weren't hitting on all the right cylinders, but we just made a pact with each other that we were going to fight through this. And I'm so proud of these guys. You see the same thing every time they win a championship, you can easily dismiss that as like, oh, that's just like, that's just TV talk. They're just saying that, Uh, but I've seen this. And I've seen the teams that prioritize the talent as opposed to the character. And I can tell you that, like, that is true. It's all about those moments of adversity and coming back from those moments.
1: I love how you're talking about, um, about the character building and and the culture within the team. And, and one, I, I hope that your book maybe helps with, uh, with the hiring mentality of hiring coaching. Cause, cause I do believe everything that you're saying with, with how success, um, Versus maybe past skills within the sport can have such a different impact. Um, the one thing that that you were kind of talking about is is how everything kind of relates to everything else, right? So so you know my success within kayaking does it have a direct relation to your example of of software sales? No. But does, does it build um, the know-how of how to overcome obstacles and, and put in the hard work and that growth mindset? Definitely. And so I'm a strong believer of how, and, and through the podcast as well, interviewing many successful people like yourself, I've realized that so much of everything relates to everything, Um, meaning like so much of sports relates to business and so much of business relates to sports and, and parenting and all these different things. They're all kind of the same. And you can, if you, if you realize and, and you pay attention, you can take all these skills and mindset and, and just different aspects and, and just pivot it and relate it to a total different subject. As far as parenting goes to kind of bring it back there a little bit, what might be maybe the biggest takeaway as, as a successful coach as yourself, that you would, what advice would you give to any parents out there? And I know we talked a little bit about, um, about confidence and, and the words that we say in praise and different things like that. Um, but, but yeah, what, what are the biggest takeaways from coaching successful teams that you think would be the most applicable into parenting on an everyday scale?
0: So I had mentioned the book Mindset by Carol Dweck and and I'm going to kind of paraphrase from her Uh, and and I am not a parent, so this is not from personal experience, but as a coach, I can tell you that what I've seen, uh, what I would encourage is that uh, kind of like I was alluding to earlier, the praise for what is truly important and what is truly important is not winning. And I think like specifically in like American society at the moment, it's all about winning. Uh, and and first of all, I don't even know if that's really what success is about. Um, you know, I talked earlier about giving your best and performing at your highest level on this specific day. Like I don't care what the score is. Like the score has nothing to do with my effort and me reaching my highest level of performance. I don't care if we're down 40 or it's tied in the last minute of the game, or we're up 50 points. Like the aim is to perform at your highest level. And to to equate it to parenting, it's like, I don't want to, as a coach or, or potentially as a parent, I don't want to praise an athlete on having success because the success is momentary. What you want to praise is the work ethic, the consistency, the things that actually lead to that success. Uh, And I think like part of me writing the book was kind of about equating the things that actually do lead to success. Like speed doesn't really equate to success. Like the resiliency to be told, like, you're not good enough to do this and to like, still show up the next day earlier and and more fired up than the day before, like that dictates success. What do you do in those moments of failure? And so I'll just kind of share a story briefly on a very impactful moment in my childhood. Uh, I played on a, uh, this was not like an amazing soccer team, right? Like we were first graders, but like from first grade to, I think fifth or sixth grade, I played on a soccer team that I, don't know if we lost a game. It was something like we did. We lost like one or two games of like six years. Okay. So yeah. again, this is not the Olympics. This is not the highest levels of soccer, but for whatever select league we were he- in here in Dallas, it was pretty good. Um, and I'll be the first to admit, I was probably 25th out of 25 players in terms of like actual impact on the field. I was terrible. Uh, I was very funny at practice. Uh, I had this alter ego, uh, Paco, the goalie, whatever. Like it was a thing, but I wasn't any good. But like when you're young, you don't know. And I think it was the first game. uh, Let's just say it was fifth grade. It was fifth or sixth grade. And we show up to the game. And like now we're stepping up to the middle school level. And uh, I didn't play. And it was like the first time sitting on that sideline where I was like, oh, All my friends are awesome at soccer and I'm terrible. I kind of knew it before, but like that was the moment where it's like, oh, I'm not playing. Oh, this is not lower school soccer where everybody gets a chance. Like now I'm I'm not playing. And we got a, you know, soccer. It's like if you win by more than seven goals, they bump you up to the next the next league. So we got up by seven goals and they put me in at goalie. And this is like the last five minutes of the game. And the other team proceeds to score like two or three times. Right. So we still win, but like, I felt embarrassed by not being good. And kind of my realization that I was not going to be, I'm not a good soccer player. Uh, And I had a young brother and sister at the time that were 10 years younger than me. So my parents were not at the game. And my mom pulls up after the game and I get in the car And she goes, hey, how how was the game? And I go, mom, it was terrible. I'm done playing soccer. Now, that's the first game of the year, right? Like, we got 12 more games on the schedule, plus a pizza party. And uh, I was like, I'm not playing anymore. And she goes, oh, that's great. After the season, you don't have to play soccer ever again. And I go, mom, I don't think you understand I'm not playing soccer ever again. I was embarrassed. They put me in a goal. They scored all these goals on me. Like, I'm not playing soccer ever again. And she goes, no. I don't think you understand. You are not quitting on your team. I don't care how many goals are scored on you. You're finishing the season. And I alluded earlier to the impact that my parents had on me. And my parents are the least athletic people imaginable. Right. I've never seen my parents work out or do anything related to sports, but like in that moment showed me so much about what, what I was about. And I didn't even know it. Right. Like I was upset. I was like, how dare, you know, how dare you not let me quit when I want to quit and I'm not having fun and I'm being embarrassed out there. But I think that also you could say indirectly, or maybe even more so directly, led to my path in sports and in coaching like there was so much power in that moment and I think nowadays like the tendency is to well that coach is treating my son wrong like I know Evan is great at everything and like there's no way he should be embarrassed like this on the soccer field and I'm gonna go handle this myself and my mom obviously does not feel like that you know she's gonna force me to show up there every single day because I made a commitment to that team. Uh, So I'm starting to be a little more long-winded and rambling, but um, hopefully that's, that is kind of encompasses what I think is truly important. And it's like, it's not about winning. It's not about being embarrassed. Um, You know, it's about, you made a commitment to the team. And this is the lesson you're going to learn this year. Uh, and, and of course, like that lesson stuck with me that that embarrassment was momentary success is momentary, but it, it's like, what are you about? Uh, and I think in that moment, uh, with the guidance of my mother, uh, she kind of steered me back onto the correct path, even though it wasn't the most pleasurable path for me uh, in, in my ego as a soccer player.
1: I I love that story. And it and it, <clears throat> it reminds me. It reminds myself and, and I think probably everyone how the role of, you know, a coach or a parent or anything, it really is that leadership role that kind of, uh, it keeps us on the tracks, right? It, it kind of puts us back on when things aren't maybe going the way that we want or aren't the going the way that we, you know, foresee or wish. Um, but it really just it goes a lot to do a lot of what you've been saying with these intangibles and just the mindset and that growth mindset and being the person that we want to be instead of just results oriented. And, and yeah, man, there's so much about uh, about leadership and about coaching and about parenting that I'm continually working on being a a somewhat still young parent myself. Uh, Evan, I feel like I could talk with you for hours about all of this because there, you just have so much to, uh, so much value to bring to the table and, and I'm just absorbing so much of it. I'm, I'm definitely very excited to pick up your book and learn a lot more. I'm going to move us on though to the next part of the show that I call the fire round and just fire a couple quick questions off at you that I ask all of our guests. Though before we continue with the show, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressures to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work towards your goals at the pace that's comfortable for you. Noon Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noon Weight users finish the program, and more than 60% of users that engage with the program keep the weight off for a year or more. So start building habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash believe. Again, that's Noom, N-O-O-M dot slash believe. B-L-E-A-V. Now, let's get back to our fire round. Uh, Evan, do you, do you have a favorite quote or a current quote that you live by?
0: Uh, humble enough to prepare and confident enough to perform.
1: Wow. I love that. That's amazing. Um, We've talked about several different books uh, throughout this episode so far, but uh, do you have a favorite book or a current book that you're reading?
0: Uh, A book that really was profoundly impactful for me was called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And um, Pretty simple book. You could probably read it you know, during an afternoon coffee, but um, a couple of the principles in there uh, I hold very near and dear to, to me and my development. Always do your best. Don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions. Be impeccable with your word. I think it was a great book and, and really kind of the first book that had a true impact on the way I lived my life.
1: I love that. I've I've read uh, Four Agreements and The Alchemist, both phenomenal books. I'm very excited to pick up uh, Mindset and your book, uh, Intangibles, as well. Um, Evan, what might be a recent lesson that you have learned, whether it be through a mistake or through success?
0: One of the big things that I like to talk about in my coaching and in my speaking is, and we've talked a lot about the value of failure today and like adversity and and learning lessons in that adversity. But I think one of the overlooked aspects, and I also talk about this in the book is how people handle success. And ideally it's the same way you handle adversity. And the best teams and the best individuals, regardless of their success, regardless of what's happening, are always going back and looking at, okay, we won, but like, this is a problem area. This could be an issue in the future. How can I improve in this, in this aspect? Uh, and I think always kind of going back and looking, regardless of your success, at kind of like, how could it have been done better? How can I improve the next time? I'm susceptible to this, just like anybody else. Uh, like my personality is more of a high achiever type, uh, if you can't tell. And so, like even one of the one of the downfalls or the drawbacks of that is like even in in spite of success, I have a tendency to always focus on what's next, and focus on what was wrong, and focus how to get better, and not celebrate the small wins and not celebrate the successes. And I think that's really important. And I think I've been even reminded here over the last, you know, my book's been out for maybe six weeks now. I've even been had to remind myself and been reminded by people close to me that 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 is a huge accomplishment. Because my my first reaction is, oh, like, well, I didn't include this, or you know, oh, should I should I go back and edit it and like change this in it? And it's really important that despite whatever you know, successes that you have, no matter how small they are, to appreciate those. Because like not to get too philosophical here, but it is all about the journey. Cause I, I feel like sometimes when you get to the destination, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is cool, but what's next? But what it's really about is like enjoying that journey and like publishing a book and like talking to people about it and and hopefully having the ability to impact people and influence the way that they think about things. And so um I think that's something I'm continually working on and, and just kind of like telling myself that it's okay to not put out something that has to be perfect and, and just be okay with the success as it was. And like, we can wait till tomorrow to pick it apart, pick apart everything that went wrong with it uh, and and enjoy the successes in the moment.
1: I love that. And it's such a great reminder to myself as well, um, to, to relish the small successes in life and, and yeah, it's it's too easy. I have probably have a very similar mindset as you, where I'm just like very forward thinking, always looking for the next thing, and and sometimes I need to take a step back and uh, and be proud of of the successes that I have had, uh, and and in the moment as well. Um, one of my favorite questions, Evan, is if today was your last day on Earth, and everything that you've done up to now, all of your coaching, all of your speaking. Um, all of the teams that you've helped your book, everything was to go away with you and all that you were left with was a piece of paper and a pen, and you could leave three truths, write down three truths for these could be for the people and, uh, the athletes that you've helped. It could be for future generations could be for your family, your friends, your loved ones. What might your three truths be?
0: Uh, so my grandfather recently passed away and he was one of my closest friends and uh, was extremely fortunate to have had him as a grandfather and as a model of manhood and the type of person that I wanted to be. And so I'm going to steal quotes from him, uh, because they mean a lot to me. And I think they're very profound. Um, the first one is safety first. (laughs) safety first and everything the second one is the greatest luxury in life is an extended family and the third one is as you ramble through the road of life whatever be your goal keep your eye upon the donut and not upon the hole
1: wow I love all three of those quotes and pieces of advice. I'm, I'm sorry to hear for your loss uh, with your grandfather. He sounds like a very wise and uh, influential person in your life. And with words like that, I can see why. Um, coach Evan, thank you so very much for this conversation. I have learned so much and I have gotten so much value from you. Something that I try to do as much as I can with all of my hosts is provide value as well. So is there anything that you are currently focusing on that I might be able to help out with personally or possibly even my listeners?
0: Well, first of all, I, I appreciate you bringing that up and asking, and I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. I, I'm sorry for some of the long-winded stories, and I know we're going over our time here, but really enjoyable talking to you. Uh, I, I think it, asking for support, and I appreciate that. I, I would just say, you know, I'm very passionate about this book, obviously, and you can find the book, Finding Intangibles, on Amazon. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind sharing that with your audience, that would be great. And uh, I, I think this is a powerful message, not only for character development, but also in terms of the, the character it takes to build a winning team. Uh, and, you know, anybody you would come across that would be interested in having me speak on, on this topic or, or the, the, the topic of the book uh, I'd be, I'd be glad to be introduced. I would really appreciate that. So, um, you don't have to do anything specific, but, uh, just keep me in mind. Um, and if the book interests you, uh, you can find it on Amazon.
1: Awesome. Well, I definitely will keep you in mind and, uh, will recommend you to, to many people. Uh, and I, I very much am looking forward to getting and reading this book, both, uh, for the success within athletics and the mindset. But I also, uh, I truly believe that a lot of, a lot of your help, uh, and advice for coaching, I think I'm going to be able to implement into my parenting life as well. So I'm definitely excited to check out this book for anyone out there that wants to follow along your journey, that wants to reach out or connect with you. What might be the best way for someone, uh, to reach out or connect?
0: I'm on all social media channels, uh, as much as I can keep up with at, at 39, uh, at coach Evan Burke, uh, Burke is spelled B-U-R-K, no E. Uh, so you can find me on social media, uh, probably Twitter might be the best place, uh, to connect with me or Instagram. And then also my website, www.coachevanburke.com.
1: Awesome. I will have the links for all of that within the show notes as well. Again, thank you so very much. Uh, coach Evan final question of the day for you is what is your definition of awesome?
0: Wow, I really like this question. And the reason I like this question is because everybody always asks, how are you doing? Hey, I'm fine. I'm good. I made a determination 15 years ago that I was going to be awesome. So I might be super intense. And if you're at the coffee shop or you're at the front desk and you say, how I'm doing, how I'm doing at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm awesome. I'm always awesome. Uh, And so my definition of awesome is just a mindset of enjoying what you're doing and just carrying happiness and positivity and a growth mindset into all situations, knowing that it's going to be the best, knowing that you're going to make it the best uh, and ultimately trying to be at your highest level, regardless of what arena you're in.
1: That is truly awesome. And I love that answer and that definition. I think I have a very similar mindset and I, I get laughed at regularly at the coffee shop when I get ants or when I answer I'm doing awesome. So, uh, that speaks to me that, that
0: question (laughs) more than any other today speaks directly to me and what I'm about. So I'm very appreciative of that question.
1: Well, again, thank you so very much for your time. I got so much value out of this conversation. I am very excited to share this with my listeners. Um, For everyone out there listening, if you guys did get value out of this, which I am quite certain you did, and if you didn't, then maybe go back and listen to it again. But uh, if you guys could share this out with a friend, a family member, someone that you think might need to hear this conversation, learn some of the lessons that Coach Evan shares with and uh, just learn some of those intangibles that I think are so valuable to everything in life Uh, please share that out with someone and if you guys could leave us a rating and review it'll take just a moment and would be greatly appreciated by myself as it helps us build our collective and community as a whole thank you all so very much for tuning in and thank you coach Evan Burke for joining me I am Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all truly an awesome day. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.